The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Okay, it's uh, coming up to 3.40 on 6.30, Chad, afternoons. We'll head to the legislature for the daily update. Here's Dr. Tina Hinshaw. Today, I would like to provide an update on COVID-19 in the province, as well as talk about mass gatherings this summer. We have confirmed 319 new cases over the last 24 hours, bringing the total number of COVID-19 cases to 3,720. Of these, 1,357 people have now recovered. One of the new cases we are reporting today occurred in a worker from Sophia Foods in the Calgary zone. To date, this is the only identified case at this plant, so it is not considered an outbreak. AHS is working with the plant to ensure that prevention measures are in place and plant operations have slowed due to the number of staff currently on isolation. AHS is offering testing to all employees, even those without symptoms. I must also report that there have been two additional deaths in the province. This brings the total number of lives lost to 68 so far. These two additional deaths are the ones that I mentioned yesterday with respect to Brooks, which have now both been confirmed as cases of COVID-19. Because one of these cases was confirmed only recently, it will be reflected in tomorrow's online information, so the total deaths in our official report will read 67 today. My sincere condolences go out to everyone grieving the loss of a loved one today. Every day, I think about the devastating impact that COVID-19 is having on many families in our province, not just those families that have lost loved ones, but also those who have loved ones in hospital or ICU, or those who are impacted by having a surgery delayed or a business closed. My thoughts are with all of those families and individuals who are suffering from COVID-19. We continue to do everything possible to limit the spread of COVID-19 and protect the public health. Some of my biggest concerns at this time are outbreaks in continuing care facilities and the outbreaks in High River and Brooks. There are now 480 cases confirmed in workers from the Cargill Meat Processing Plant and 124 confirmed cases in employees and contractors at JBS Foods. As of today, there have also been 390 cases in continuing care facilities across Alberta. I know these numbers can be alarming. We are working to ensure that every outbreak has aggressive intervention as soon as it is identified so that it can end as soon as possible. These interventions may be different in different contexts, but for every outbreak, we must identify all cases as soon as possible, identify all locations where spread may be occurring and put measures in place to stop that spread in all those locations. I want to assure Albertans that these aggressive outbreak measures are being implemented and they are effective. Unfortunately, the long incubation period of COVID-19 means we will continue to see new cases in the days ahead, as exposures that happened before outbreak measures were put in place can continue to result in new cases for up to two weeks. These outbreaks are a painful reminder of the ability of COVID-19 to spread rapidly when given the chance. In particular, mass gatherings are a significant source of concern during this pandemic. The weather is finally getting nicer and I know many of us want to be outside. 
I have repeatedly said that being outdoors and active is important for both physical and mental health during these tough times. However, we need to remember that a single case of COVID-19 can spread like wildfire in large groups of people. That is why today I want to clarify that the mass gathering restrictions currently in place also apply to all summer events or festivals in Alberta. To be clear, the orders in place prohibit gatherings of more than 15 people. They also require people gathered in groups of fewer than 15 to maintain a distance of two meters from one another. Albertans are prohibited from attending any event that would violate these orders. I know summer festivals and events are incredibly important for many people. They provide fun and entertainment in every part of our province and many people depend on them for livelihood. This decision was not made lightly, but we must do everything we can to prevent the spread of COVID-19. We have seen that festivals and large gatherings hold the potential to be super spreader events where one sick person can expose many others to the virus, spreading COVID-19 across households, communities, and even large geographical distances. Many event organizers in Alberta have already taken it on themselves to cancel or postpone events this summer. But I also know that others were waiting for clarification from me. By providing this clarification now, I hope that organizers will be able to provide advance notice to help them limit unreasonable expenditures and cancel contracts in a timely manner. Of course, we all have a role to play here. I want to remind Albertans that all of our public health orders and recommendations still apply outside and they will be enforced. This weekend and in the days ahead, you must avoid large group activities. I also strongly advise against going to summer homes at this time. While we are all eager for a relaunch and wanting to see an easing of restrictions, now is not the time to have people moving through the province and possibly unknowingly spreading the virus. Please continue to hold to the measures we need to take together to protect each other. I know this is incredibly disappointing. We all look forward to summer as a time when we can slow down, take time with friends and families, and enjoy the variety of summer festivals that are such a hallmark of Alberta culture. This virus has taken many things from us, and this is one more loss to absorb. I don't minimize that impact. I do, however, want to tell you that there are many things we can still do. There are still outdoor activities where we can be physically distanced and there is no contact with frequently touched objects or surfaces. This includes going for walks or bike rides, visiting parks and working in community gardens where these distancing measures are able to be kept. Albertans are an incredibly creative group of people and we cannot provide a specific order or advice for every possible activity under the sun. I would ask all Albertans to use their common sense and apply these public health measures to whatever they are doing inside or out. These next few weeks are important. Our ability to maintain physical distancing and stop the spread is the key to continuing to flatten the curve and to be able to move forward. Every day we learn more about COVID-19 and every day we look at new ways to slow the spread here at home. In fact, I am excited to say that we are in the final testing phase of a new contact tracing app. 
this mobile app will be completely voluntary and will speed up the contact tracing that health officials undertake when someone tests positive for the virus. Albertans will have choice about whether to download the app and all information collected is stored within people's personal phones, not with the government. This app uses Bluetooth to note if you came into contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. The app does not track Albertans' geographic locations. The benefit of this app is in speeding up information gathering to support the contact tracing work that our public health workers are already doing. This is simply taking our decades-old public health approach into the 21st century and providing more efficient means for Albertans to work with public health in tracing contacts of cases. These apps have already been used effectively in Singapore and South Korea. I want to again emphasize that this is a voluntary app and Albertans will be able to choose whether or not to download it. I also want to ensure Albertans know that the government has been in contact with the Information and Privacy Commissioner about this app and no concerns have been raised. We expect it will be available to all Albertans in the coming weeks once the trials are finished and I am excited to be able to share more details when it is ready to be released. Alberta Health Services has also developed a new easier approach to ensure PPE is available to all community specialists including ophthalmologists, surgeons, radiologists and other specialties. Effective immediately, community specialists are able to order PPE for their clinics through their AHS zone's point of contact. Contact information and additional details on this process are available on AHS's website. It is my hope that this new process will ensure that all those clinicians who need PPE will easily be able to get it. I want to wrap up by reminding everyone that we are each other's best defense. In the face of a pandemic like COVID, equipment and technology are essential, but so is community and kindness. We have come so far together and we can stay the course if we lean on each other. With solidarity, generosity and community, we will overcome this together. Thank you and I'm happy to take questions. All right, we'll go to the phone now. Operator, could you patch through the first question? Nimick with CBC. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. Earlier you said uh, mass gathering restrictions would apply to all summer events. So I just want to clarify that that means that there will be no mass gatherings in our province up until September 22nd at the earliest. So uh, what we're saying is that for the foreseeable future, those mass gathering restrictions of no more than 15 people will apply. Uh, with respect to questions about September, uh, I think that we'll have to watch very closely over the summer and see how our numbers are and see whether or not we're having issues with spread uh, to make, in order to make determinations about what happens in the fall. Excellent. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is James, uh, sorry, James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. 
Hi there. I have a question about um, Saskatchewan today announced their plan to uh, reopen some businesses in the coming weeks as part of kind of a longer term uh, reopening strategy. What's the risk to Alberta of people crossing the provincial boundary, for example, to get a haircut in Saskatchewan now that that's available and then contributing to infections here? And how much coordination has there been with your counterparts in Saskatchewan and elsewhere about these reopening plans? So we're working very closely with colleagues in other provinces and territories, particularly our neighboring provinces like BC and Saskatchewan. Uh, and you may note that the opening dates that they're um, targeting are later in May uh, for many of those businesses. As you know, we are talking in Alberta about our relaunch strategy and expect to be able to share that with Albertans uh, once there's been discussion at the Emergency Management Cabinet Committee. Uh, so certainly I think that the information that Saskatchewan is sharing is interesting. Uh, again, it's been a part of the discussions we've been having with the, my public health colleagues across the country. Uh, and we will make sure that our approaches are coordinated uh, and that we're in close conversations because uh, certainly different provinces may have different rates of spread or different epidemiology. So we need to make sure that we're minimizing the risk of transmission back and forth, especially if one province is easing restrictions and may see more spread. Uh, we'll need to be watching very closely to make sure that, that we're um, working together to minimize spread of interprovincial movement. Operator, could you please put through the next question? David Staples with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, David. Hi, Dr. Hinch. I have a related question about Saskatchewan. Some people will wonder, um, will we follow suit and have similar kind of movement in Alberta? And I'm wondering, um, you might not be able to answer that, but are there differences between right now the the spread of the uh, virus in Alberta and Saskatchewan that ma makes for different situations in the two provinces and might allow them to open earlier than us, or um, are the situations relatively similar? So uh, I would say that up until we had our two significant outbreaks that we're currently dealing with uh, in the Brooks area and around the Cargill plant, which is affecting multiple communities, our numbers were quite similar to Saskatchewan. Uh, we have seen an uptick in numbers based largely in those outbreaks and with those some upticks in our hospitalization and ICU numbers. We continue to be well below where our modeling um, had forecast we would be if Albertans had not collectively taken the measures that we've all taken. Uh, and so that continues to be a good news story, but we'll have to be watching our numbers to determine whether or not we're in a position to be able to start to ease restrictions. Uh, and Saskatchewan will be doing the same. And so I think this is going to be over the next mon many months, uh, an exercise in working really closely together across provinces, uh, but knowing that different provinces have different contexts, different epidemiology, and there may be some provinces or territories. Uh, for example, I know um, the territories with much um, smaller health infrastructure, uh, even if they have low numbers, they may want to keep restrictions in place for longer and each province and territory was going to have to make the decisions that are appropriate for their location uh, that make sense for their population in order to protect the people that they're responsible for. And so again, we'll, we'll do that in Alberta and we'll do that within the coordination within our, our neighbors. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Michelle Belfontaine with CBC. Go ahead, Michelle. 
Oh, hi there, Dr. Henshaw. Um, I want to ask you why today's, or why was today's date for your order limiting workers to one continuing care site rescinded, and uh, when uh, do you expect to see it in force? So we did lift the effective date of today because it became clear that there was some additional work that needed to be done to clarify certain pieces of that worksite restriction. Uh, and so realizing that we needed a little bit more time to work with the operators and to make sure that all of the, the questions that we had could be answered, the questions that they had could be answered, uh, that effective date uh, was moved. With respect to that question of enforcement, I think what we're hoping to see again, we anticipate that we will be able to move relatively quickly into implementation, uh, but we will be in close communications with operators with respect to when they can anticipate that they're, they're may be enforcement in place, but I want to emphasize that this has been a very collaborative effort, working with providers, working with these organizations. Uh, and so that is the intention in terms of moving forward is making sure that we are working collaboratively and supporting all operators to successfully care for the residents who are in their facilities in as safe a way as possible. Uh, so with that enforcement question really is the, the um, kind of uh, additional piece uh, if needed, but what we're really hoping is that this collaborative approach can continue. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Andrea Williams with CBC, go ahead. Hi, Dr. Inshaw. Um, my question is about Emmanuel Bulac and Mackenzie Town. Um, I wanted to know why did the government take control of um, the, the Manoir du Lac and not Mackenzie Town with where many deaths have also occurred? So the difference between the two facilities in Mackenzie Town, certainly there was a high number of cases and tragically many deaths. Uh, there was close collaboration with the operator and uh, the measures that were required were put in place at Mackenzie Town. Uh, what was noted on an inspection at Manoir du Lac is that the requirements for safe operation were not being met at that location. And so there was not so much a decision based on the number of cases, but rather the ability of that site to comply with and uh, put into effect the required practices to keep residents safe. And so in that particular site, AHS took over in order to ensure that residents were being kept safe and all of those practices that are required in my orders were able to be implemented. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Other provinces are releasing plans to gradually return students to school, such as reopening schools in certain regions before others or sending kids to school um, on alternating days. What options are being considered here in our province and what timelines are being looked at? So that's a part of that larger relaunch discussion. And as I said earlier, we are working with colleagues across the country to make sure that our discussions about options are based on the best evidence. I was just part of a special advisory committee call today where we were reviewing evidence around school closures uh, and evidence around the infections in younger populations in children, uh, because I don't think there's any one perfect way to make sure that our population is safe with respect to that issue of school closures and then reopening. Uh, so no final decisions have been made, but again, we are looking uh, at multiple options and we're going to have that discussion as part of that larger relaunch discussion with our Emergency Management Cabinet Committee. 
Operator, could you please put through another question? Next is Robson Fletcher with CBC. Go ahead, Robson. Uh, hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I have a question about uh, the COVID cases in terms of the age of the patients and, and why it seems Alberta's numbers uh, seem a lot younger than other provinces. So, well, roughly uh, from, the, from the data we have, 11% of cases here are among kids and teenagers. In BC, it's just like 1%. And while uh, cases over 80 here are about 6%, in Ontario it's like 20%, even though uh, the proportion of cases in continuing care homes seems similar in all three provinces. So my question is, why do you think Alberta has so many more confirmed cases among younger people? Are, are we simply testing more young people? Is it related to our younger population? Are there other factors at play? And, and, and what are the implications of all this? So uh, what I believe a uh, main driver for the reasons that you reference or for the, for the difference that you reference, sorry, um, is that our testing protocol in Alberta has been a bit different than in other provinces. So you may recall that relatively early on in the course of our pandemic response, we did open up testing to anyone who had traveled to any international destination within the last 14 days and was feeling sick. And so we did have a number of families Families, uh, including children who had traveled where there was were um, cases in that household people who were sick including children and so we were doing a lot more testing than perhaps other provinces were at that time with respect to that broad brushstroke of testing anyone who had traveled uh, and then we also were one of the the first provinces I believe the first to open up testing to anyone in the province with symptoms so anyone who has symptoms uh, can be tested and that's widely available across the province through the Alberta Health Services online uh, assessment tool and so because we have had such broad testing available both at the beginning when we were really focusing on travelers uh, and in the last couple of weeks since we've been able to open up testing to anyone in the province my um, hypothesis would be uh, that we've been able to catch more of the younger cases because we have been uh, able to test so many more people uh, however that's a hypothesis that would need to be to be tested uh, but I don't think there's any reason to believe that we have a different kind of spread uh, I believe that it's more about who we're testing operator could you please put through the next question check this Jason Herring with the Calgary Herald go ahead Jason Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I wanted to ask a quick question about modeling. Uh, I'm wondering when we can expect to see revised modeling and whether you can give any impression of how that modeling may differ from what we've already seen given the new trove of data Albert has collected in the last few weeks. Sure, so uh, there's updated modeling that's currently being worked on um, and I haven't seen the, the final updated modeling. Uh, we are looking at, at both the current data that we have uh, and also looking at how the impact of different assumptions impacts the models. Uh, because as you'll recall from our discussions of the model that was previously released, models are a helpful tool in order to help us think through uh, scenarios. So they're not necessarily a prediction of the future that's predetermined, but they help us think about what would happen if we had a certain amount of spread per additional case. So if every case in Alberta, as we showed in our previous model, infected one or two other people at a, a relatively constant rate going forward, and we could see that spread increased quite rapidly. So we're looking now at different assumptions uh, based on our, our current experience, what we've seen over the past 
a couple of months and we're going to be using that data and those different assumptions to inform modeling going forward and, and I'm not sure exactly when that will be available to be released publicly. As I say, I haven't seen the updated models yet myself, uh, but we will be uh, making sure that, that we use the opportunity again to have that dialogue with Albertans about what what we've seen, what we might see depending on different scenarios and how that informs our planning going forward. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Carmen LaBelle with CTD. Go ahead, Carmen. Thank you very much. I'm wondering, Dr. Hinshaw, if you wouldn't mind clarifying something. So is the advice for Albertans not to use their cabins at all this summer? So it's a really good question and my advice about not going to their summer homes is really specific to, to right now. So as we're looking at our relaunch and potential for easing measures, uh, that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at and whether or not that's something that we can ease restrictions on on a go forward basis. Uh, so I think the, the advice that I'm giving right now is based on the fact that we do in certain parts of our province uh, still have significant spread of the virus. Um, and so making people aware that if they are thinking about traveling throughout the province, uh, that travel across distances is one potential way of causing spread of the virus. And so I'm advising that for right now, people not go to their summer homes. Uh, but again, part of our relaunch is a hope that we would be able to ease off restrictions uh, such as the ability to visit within the province to places within relatively small distances. Uh, but again, that's, that's a future consideration. All right, we've got time for two more quick questions. Uh, operator, could you patch through the next question, please? The next is Jennifer Lee with CBC. Go ahead, Jennifer. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm, I'm just wondering, given your concerns um, that you mentioned about outbreaks uh, in long-term care and the issues with implementation of the limits on keeping workers within one facility, um, are you considering now perhaps um, sending workers um, from hospitals into long-term care facilities to help out since, since I guess to this point at least we haven't seen the large influx into hospital settings that have been predicted? So that's maybe something that um, I'll take uh, the first crack at and then see if Dr. Jaffe has additional comments. Um, we recognize that especially in a facility that has an outbreak, there may be staffing challenges related to if staff are exposed uh, and they're needing to be in quarantine at home for 14 days, there may be a challenge getting enough staff to actually care safely for residents in that facility. So while we want to limit regular work of staff to one particular site in continuing care, specifically designated supportive living and long-term care, we also recognize that in outbreak situations we may need to have some flexibility in that to ensure that there's enough people on site to safely care for residents. So we have been working with Alberta Health Services uh, to ensure that some of that flexibility is available and I'm not sure Dr. Jaffe if you want to comment any further. My apologies for not introducing him earlier. This is Dr. Mark Jaffe, Vice President and Medical Director with AHS. 
Thanks very much. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. So the only thing I would add is, again, these are extraordinary times. And when there are outbreaks and when there are Albertans who need care, we do need some flexibility and we do occasionally need to move uh, some staff around. However, I would emphasize that we also need to work within collective bargaining agreements uh, and uh, our unionized staff and our unionized workers have uh, some controls and, and stipulations within those agreements that, of course, we need to work within. Uh, there are some workers who are uh, non-union workers who, who do have somewhat more flexibility. Uh, and uh, I think that we'll be looking at a variety of different options as we move forward. Excellent. Operator, could you patch through a final question, please? Lisa Johnson with Post Media. Go ahead, Lisa. Thanks very much. Um, I just had a question today uh, because uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talked about uh, conducting blood test surveys to get a better handle on potential immunity and vulnerabilities across Canada. I'm wondering if you can weigh in on um, immunity after a person becomes symptom-free, Dr. Hinshaw. I mean, we've kind of been seeing a lot of conflicting reports, and I'm wondering what your opinion is on this. Can we count on acquired immunity after somebody recovers from their symptoms, and how variable are those immunity rates? So I think this is an open question that there's a lot of active study of right now. As you referenced, there's a lot of debate uh, in the popular media about seeing cases who've had COVID recovered and then tested positive again. And so honestly, I think again, this is something we'll just need to watch very closely and understand what the um, evidence is telling us as we get more evidence in this emerging disease. We know that in some animal trials that have been done with monkeys, for example, where monkeys have been infected with COVID and then recovered and then they've been exposed again, they, in that particular trial that I'm aware of, uh, those monkeys did not get sick. So there's some animal model evidence to suggest that possibly there is some immunity. However, I'm certainly aware of reports from a few different countries around the world where people have, again, had COVID, tested positive, tested negative, gotten sick again and tested positive again. And I think what we don't know for sure is whether or not they're potentially still shedding the virus after their initial acute illness, or if they actually became infected again, or if there's some latency period where the virus um, can reactivate. Those are all open questions and we, we simply don't know enough at this time. What we know that uh, serology can tell us uh, is that it can tell us whether or not someone has been infected in the past with COVID. And that's something that is helpful in terms of understanding the proportion of the population uh, that had that illness. But again, it can't tell us for sure whether or not that person is immune. Uh, and so it's something that, that we need to keep watching the evidence with respect to immunity. Uh, and also I think pursuing some of that serology testing for the purposes of understanding what the spread in the population has been like. Excellent. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we'll provide another update tomorrow afternoon. There you have it, Dr. Dina Hinshaw's uh, news conference uh, for today, a relatively short one coming in at uh, you know, about uh, 30 minutes, 35 minutes or so. I can tell you um, just uh, some of the basic numbers right now, then we'll take a break and then and then crunch it all down. Uh, 319 new cases in the province, bringing that total to 3,720. Uh, 1,357 people have recovered. Uh, two new deaths in the province. 
province, uh, bringing that total to 68. And uh, she said there was one new case that has been... um, has been found at Sophia Foods in the Calgary zone, but just because there's one case only right now, so it's not considered an outbreak. Those outbreaks we have been watching at High River at the cargo plant, 480 cases now, and at Brooks uh, JBS uh, meat uh, packing processing facility, 124. She says, still watching a lot on the continuing care cases. There's still 390 cases in those facilities, and of course, as you know, listening to this show today, that has been a big topic of conversation. Uh, and talking about uh, what needs to be done there.